Good morning, Randy. Hey, good morning, Lily. Um, it's morning. That means we must be talking to someone in a country where it's lovely and sunny at the moment. Yes, we are. This morning, we're chatting to Anthony Mata, product consultant and coach based in sunny Auckland, New Zealand. Well, it's sunny right now. (laughs) We chatted about discovery in an agile world, the differences he has with Teresa Torres, when to use a business case, and quite a bit more, actually. You know, I always wish we could do these chats in person, but being in Auckland right now just sounds so amazing compared to the weather over here. It is a bit miserable today, um, and I'd love to see the business case that you have for that trip. But <laughs> anyway, let's get started. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Anthony, thank you so much for staying up late and joining us on the podcast today. No worries, guys. Happy to happy to join in. For anyone who doesn't know who you are already, can you just give us a brief introduction? Where are you? What do you do these days? And how did you get into product stuff? All right. Um, well, I'm I'm from the future um, down here in New Zealand, <laughs> uh, where, where we are officially twelve hours ahead of, of you guys and, and of most other people. So we we say that we're from we're from the future down here. Uh, no, so I'm from <laughs> Auckland, Auckland, New Zealand, um, based down here. Been in product about ten years, so my sins, which sounds scary every time I say that. Uh, which about so about half my career, other half's been sort of engineering, software development, and whatnot before that. I uh, I kind of have a funny role at the moment. My official title is uh, product and delivery coach, which I spend four days of my week working for a fintech, um, helping to coach their product management team and their engineering team. So sort of a mixture of product and, and agile coaching, um, as well as at the moment, I'm actually acting as a, as a product manager for their platform. That's a funny, interesting role. Um, and then I spend another day a week doing uh, consulting. I'm currently working with a um, large grocery retailer down here on trying to embed um, product processes and product practices and whatnot, which is very interesting. They're a very large organization. Um, yeah, very good, good fun kind of uh, kind of role there. And so, and I, and I just generally help out organizations down here with their with their practice. Um, I'm also chair of an organization called Product Aotearoa, which is a New Zealand wide organization where we're trying to join and connect product people from across the country down here in New Zealand um, to support each other and learn and grow together um, sort of as an offshoot of what we've been doing down here with uh, Product Tank. Excellent and I've done uh, stuff with a large grocery chain here in the UK in the past it's a really interesting sector with all the real-time delivery mm. and everything that they've got to go on it's it's you know you think uh, um, doing delivery is hard and then you have to factor in freshness it's just so much harder. Yeah, yeah, and and then and then from an organisation which is has come from a very traditional kind of background and and um, hasn't yet hasn't quite yet had the realisation that they're a technology organisation that does grocery, <laughs> not not the other way around. But we're we're working on it. 
Yeah, good luck. Um, so we asked you on today because you did a talk for uh, Mind the Product Conference a while back and wrote a, an article about it. And it was really interesting. And you've got this great role, as you said, where you're doing the coaching for both uh, product and delivery practice. So one of the fundamental things that we try and work on is is discovery in, in these cases. And it can be hard to fit it in. And you start off, uh, one of the things you start off with, I want to ask is, why shouldn't I call it discovery? I mean, it's just the word. It's a word we use all the time. What's what's so bad about that word? Um, it, it depends on the context, actually, and, and, that, and that was a slightly slightly tongue in cheek comment in, in my in my presentation. But where it kind of came from is um, sort of hearing about product managers and, and also making this mistake myself, coming into an organization, particularly in a startup, where the founder, the other people in the organization have spent a lot of time thinking about the context of what they're trying to do. And this product person marches in there and says, right, we need to do this thing called discovery. We need to reinvestigate the problem. And everybody's looking at them going like, what? You know, we've been thinking about this for ages. And it was really sort of trying to emphasize that, you know, you have to be diplomatic in bringing this thing into an organization because you're doing it with the right intent. You're trying to make sure that the organization is solving the right problems, but you're dealing with people who think that they're solving the right problems or think that they understand the problem. And, and so sort of coming at it a little bit obliquely um, can can lead to far greater success than trying to tackle it head on. And, and then the other thing is just a language thing. You know, we, we call it product discovery outside of product management. I don't know that that term is very well understood as well. So it's, it's setting the context of what it is that we're actually trying to achieve before we start using some of the language that we're kind of familiar with in, in the industry. I think that's a really good point, actually, about when you start to you know, introduce discovery if you're in a new role or something or you're kind of um, new into like a different product in, in the company that you're in and lots of people have their their views of like what's going on and, and they've kind of like been brought along a journey or they've gone on a journey themselves and then you come in fresh and you kind of want to discover stuff for yourself like yeah, by, talking yeah. to, by talking to customers. So I guess how how much of that have you found that that you should actually revisit stuff fresh uh, you know from a fresh perspective when you're coming in new in that way versus uh listening to all of the opinions of that have been formed from other people's own discovery yeah it, it, it's tough right like the, the you know the hardest thing in the world is to come into an organization as a brand new product manager where or brand new to that organization and you don't know the context you don't know the domain and that temptation there really is that temptation there to to go right we need to you know rediscover everything and in some ways that's that's you personally you know you're you're having to learn yourself and so it's trying to strike that balance between you know obviously as a product manager you do have to get up to speed and as a fresh pair of eyes you will see things that other people haven't seen but balancing that against you have all these people around you who've spent you know, a lot of time and effort and, and, and invested in what they perceive to be the problem and and you know making sure that you're balancing listening to them versus with listening to the customer and 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 you know really you know st starting with an open mind that you know it's in all probability, they probably are onto something with what they perceive as to be a, a problem, even if they're expressing it as a solution. Um, and, and just being, you know, ready to kind of shift shift both your perception of of what it is that everybody thinks the problem is, and and you know, and listen and make sure that you're kind of achieving a, a happy medium between those two things. Um, but but it's hard because you know it, it really is that that moment of you know 
do I think that they're misaligned with the customer because they're misaligned with the customer or do I think they're misaligned with the customer just because I don't know something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of time when we talk about discovery, we talk about it almost like from a greenfields perspective, you know, you're coming into something new, you start off with discovery. But you said you're working with a, a grocery chain, with a fintech, and I'm guessing these are, from the sounds of it, these are larger organizations. Mm-hmm. And when you come into these, most of the time, you're coming in on something that's already in motion. They already have a strategy. There's a lot going on. How do we know, you know, and obviously, you know, we can talk about continuous discovery and as a, as a principle, but how do we know how much has to be redone when we come into something like you? We don't want necessarily want to start from scratch. How much can we reuse uh, from what the team's already done and how, where do we need to start again for ourselves? Yeah, it is, is kind of what I what I touched on in my talk and was sort of a, a bit of a three-step process to getting there. And the, and, and the first thing was trying to understand, like, like do we know how we're going to move? The, you know, you've got stuff in flight, right? There's, there's, stuff, there's stuff in motion. You come into a team, you come into an organization, there's stuff already in motion. How much do we, we being the product manager and the team, understand about how we're going to move the dial when this thing gets out there into into the wild? Like, like do we actually know what difference it's going to make? Like, like are, are we just talking about, well, we're just going to build a thing and give it to some customers and, you know, sweetness and happiness and whatnot? Um, and so and to really to try and get beyond that, which is the, you know, do we as a team understand how we're going to move the needle? And, and, and that might be metrics, um, it might be, you know, quantitative or qualitative type things, um, or it might actually be that everybody kind of shrugs their shoulder and goes, actually, we, we're not really sure, we've just, we're told to build that. And so, so the answers to that, that kind of questioning kind of gives you that, that starting point of like, how far away are we from really knowing what it is that we're trying to achieve? And, that, and that's sort of kind of the, the first step. And, and, and as I said, that usually evolves into a, a conversation about metrics and whatnot. And if, if there's great metrics there already, great, double down on those. If there's not, okay, maybe we need to have a start, start having a conversation about what we're going to measure. And that then kind of enables us to, to sort of, start going, okay, well, how, how far are we away from that, knowing what the problem is? If we if it's actually it's all good, actually everybody does understand the problem, great, nothing much to do, move on, deliver, get some stuff out there, you know, and inspect and adapt once it gets out there into the wild. If we, you know, if, if everybody's kind of shrugging their shoulders and going, actually, we don't know what we're going to measure, okay, right, let's, let's start there. So, okay, so if you know what you're measuring um and you've got a a plan of like the the metrics that you want to impact how does that then filter through into the discovery plan like what's the next step after that it it, it kind of leads you down to well, well like how much discovery do we need to do here like as i said if, if everything's already well understood we've covered covered all our dimensions of, of feasibility great as I said, let's just get on with it you know, get on with it and make and then when we're you know, doing the next thing making sure we're applying that rigor to it if we look at it and go, actually, as I said, you know, maybe we don't know what the business metrics are, or we don't know what the support metrics are, or we or we're missing some stuff around technical feasibility. Okay, that's the gap that we need to fill. You know, does it mean that we need to get the technology team to do some proof of concepting? Um, do we need to do some prototyping with our UX team? Basically, like where you know, where are the gaps in the in the dimensions of feasibility? And, and what I'm referring to there is, is Marty Kagan's kind of four dimensions of feasibility. And which, which one of them do we have a gap in? So presumably, if the the business is already funding something, there's been a business case built around this. So I'm a little confused into what you're recommending. Which comes first, the business case or the initial discovery? Where do we start? 
Great question. Business cases, my goodness. Um, yeah, yeah. Business case, um, and sorry for, for those who are listening and I'm using massive quotey fingers there. Um, I, I've seen massive varying qualities of business cases out there. Um, you know, organizations that will remain nameless where the business case is basically a tick the box kind of exercise. It's just somebody's written enough to make it sound believable enough that somebody in the organization has signed off on the funding for it. But actually, it, it, it's kind of meaning, you know, meaningless. There's been no real effort put into that. And and, and I've, I've yet to really see an organization that really dovetails kind of discovery and business casing together very well. I mean, my, my opinion is, 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 is it's, it's, it kind of becomes a two-step process, which, um, and, and this is what I'm working on with the, the grocery retailer and and, and um, it sort of, to some extent work, works this way with the fintech as well, is that you sort of start off with, is there enough of a smell there to make it worth investing in discovery? So, you know, do, do we think we've got enough of chance? And, and so that business case is super lightweight. Is there enough to actually spend a bit of time in there to see if, see if this, this thing is valuable enough? And so that's sort of step one. And it's a very, very lightweight, you know, depending on how your organization works, that might even just be a conversation, right? We, we, yeah, we can spend a little bit of time on that, or it might be a more formal of approval, depending on the, you know, depending on how, how large the organization is, how, how bureaucratic they are. Um, and then discovery is then kind of telling you, okay, actually there is some value here, and that's where that more formal business case might kick in. And, and to me, the, the what people, what most people sort of perceive as like the formal business casing process, that really is the outcome of that discovery because that should be at the point where we've gone. Actually, there is enough value here to be worth investing in. Um, and, and that is a set as opposed to how a lot of business cases are treated like now, right now, which is just like a process document that nobody really actually believes. It's just enough bollocks to get their thing, you know, moving into delivery. Brilliant. Um, so how, when you're, when you've decided, right, we need to do some discovery for this, uh, for this project or for this metric or this piece of work, um, how do you go about deciding what that entails? Because discovery can be a whole bunch of different activities. So how, you know, you mentioned prototyping before kind of doing MVPs or uh, like putting stuff in front of uh, potential customers or users. Like how do you decide what technique, I guess, you're going to use to to do your discovery and and who's doing that with you? I'm going to go for the classic product manager. It depends answer here. <laughs> but as I as I just uh, tweeted the other day, you know, please, please, product managers, don't say it depends without qualifying it. So I will qualify that. Um, <laughs> so so what I what I tend to do is look at okay, as I said, we've got we've got our four dimensions of feasibility. We've got our you know we'll we'll, we'll use as value it. Is it feasible from a business perspective? Is it technology feasible? Um, you know, can, can we support it? And then that sort of fifth dimension of, you know, is, is it ethical? And it's, it's, it's taking the area of the problem statement that we're looking at and going, okay, well, what, do, what do we not know? Okay, well, maybe the, the technology side of it looks like a slam dunk, but, um, you know, really we're not sure if users can use this. Okay, well, let's put our effort into the, um, into the, the usability side of things. Um, or actually we're not, you know, the sound's kind of valuable, but we're not actually sure if people are going to buy it. Like, is there enough value in there? How do we, how would we price it? Right. Well, let's put our effort into the, into the business vi- viability or, you know, Hey, this sounds really cool. It's, 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 it's viable. It's, it's, um, you know, and, and there's demand for it, but geez, don't know how the heck we're going to build it. Um, and so it, it's trying to do that assessment up front. And, and, it, and it's a bit, that's a real chicken and egg kind of situation because you're in, you're in this sort of realm of unknown unknowns that you're kind of taking a bit of a finger in the wind of going, okay, well, 
we think we need to focus our effort over here, but we could very well be missing something in the other quadrant. So um, that really is, my view is that, that that's a judgment call. Like there, there is no way, there's no scientific way of proving that other than, um, you know, the, the typical thing of, of assumptions of the mother of all stuff ups um, and that, you know, you, you might, think that one of those quadrants is is not worth putting effort in but it actually turns out to be doing it so at least doing doing the basics and all of them um my view is important otherwise you kind of trip yourself up but but as i said it, it, you have to make that judgment call of you know because you, you can't you can't do like all of the discovery all of the time and all of the quadrants because you just spend all your time like just navel gazing and not actually getting anything done um, so it does come yeah. down to that judgment call of, 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 you know, where do we want to focus our effort? Um, one of the techniques I use is, is trying to do a little bit up front of just guessing about what our discovery effort is going to be. Like, is this something we're going to spend an hour on, a day on, a week on, a month on? And just trying to do that and, and just time boxing yourself just to go, right, let's time box what we're going to do on this. And that also allows us to, a criticism I've seen in organizations is, oh, this stuff is in discovery for forever. You know, are we ever, ever actually going to build anything? Um, and so, so it, it, that becomes something that you can communicate back to the business of, hey, we're going to give ourselves a week on this because actually we need to do, you know, quite a bit of detailed investigation and then surface the results and make that visible to the organization after that period. Okay. So speaking of things that aren't scientific that you can communicate well, one of the things you mentioned in the talk was uh, finding the face pop. <laughs> And I absolutely love that. And it, it sounds, I, I think there might be a little bit of science behind it, but probably more art. But talk a little bit about what you meant by that and how you use the face palms. The, this is where you've got that stakeholder who comes in and says, look, we should just do this. This is a no-brainer. We should just ship it. And then you trot out the, yeah, do you remember that time when we da 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 did something that fell horribly flat and um and, and that gives you that that little bit of leverage to kind of just get people to step back from the brink um you know, one of the organizations that i have worked with remain nameless and one of the stakeholders there who are also remain nameless there's a very a very famous situation that everybody in the organization knows about this particular incident where something was built and it just failed horribly it, it just was terrible um and that's you know and that gives people kind of leverage to say you remember that time when we um but it's something you have to approach sensitively right because obviously you know that particular thing there was a person that was associated with it um, and so you have to be careful that it's not just like a, hey, a slap down a way of, of pitching things. So you, you have to be sensitive about it. But as I said, it's that, it's that just giving pause, giving space to the product managers to go, hey, let, let's actually spend this time to think about this thing. Otherwise, we risk ending up in that situation when we, you know, whatever fell on its face kind of thing. Those projects usually have um, have names, don't they? Uh, yeah, I, they, they often do. <laughs> <laughs> they you have remember, one in my remember, past called Horizon, and it's just like you remember Project you know, Horizon. Yeah, it? let's let's not do that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just like no. <laughs> And and, that, and and as a product manager, what you can do is kind of analyze and just and try and form a bit of, you know, create that kind of narrative around why that went wrong, um, which is more than mm -hmm. just, you know, somebody had, somebody had a bad idea. It has to be more nuanced than, you know, you bad, you know, you did bad because it was bad idea kind of thing. It has to be like, well, actually, if we'd put effort into looking at this or looking at that, we might have had a chance of finding out that that wasn't going to fly before we invested X amount. 
Um, and and just yeah. so you, have, you have to take you do actually have to take the, the the people out of that because it can be very tempting just to say, hey, that was a dumb. You know, Bob yeah. came out with that idea and it was dumb kind of thing, and Bob suddenly feels like he's been slapped. And I guess kind of along along those lines as well, like um, if you're working cross functionally with um, other departments, you know, you mentioned business viability earlier that you might have to do some sort of like business modeling or financial modeling or you know technical um feasibility study or some something so how do you kind of bring the the rest of the business into that discovery process and like really get them enthusiastic about something which isn't necessarily about just delivery it's it's a tough gig um one of the one of the ways i've used is actually making the discovery process itself visible um, so a, a practice I've introduced in, in a couple of organizations now is um, discovery reviews. So, you know, teams have their sprint reviews, but actually getting the product team to do a discovery review. And, and hopefully that actually becomes part of my, 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 my ultimate goal, the, the discovery reviews I'm doing right now where I'm getting a product team to do it. My ultimate goal actually is to get the team to do it. But it, and, and, and then inviting everyone in the organization into that. And often what you'll do is you take, we'll, we'll say, well, we're investigating this thing. Somebody will put their hand up and go, Oh, hey, that's that's really interesting. Um, you know, that might affect my area. Can I can I get in on on that? And so it's actually getting you know just making visible what's going on because it gets more stakeholders going. Hey, this is really cool. People, you know, I can see how engineering product are thinking about these things. Hey, I'd I'd like a piece of that. And and so it's just kind of set yes, selling that value by you know showing not telling. And okay, so we have to ask this question. I think we're duty bound in every episode to ask about it uh, any in any episode about discovery. I mean. We're already behind on whatever metrics we, business plan we're trying to do. We always are. That every place I've always have ever worked has always felt like they're behind on the project. So creating the room for discovery, it seems like a no-brainer to us. But the question of the return on investment or justification for the time, how do you approach that? Um, it, it's kind of related to what what we were talking about earlier around the around the face palms. It, it's saying that well, actually the highest value thing that we could be doing right now might be to find out that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. Um, and the, the, the fintech I'm working with, actually, earlier in the year, we had actually quite a full discovery pipeline, and we found a bunch of stuff in there that actually sounded like a great idea, sounded like it was really good, but after we did analysis on it, it's like, oh, actually, that's not going to give the results that we thought it was going to. If we'd rocked in and built that stuff, you know, we could have wasted a quarter's worth of, or even more than a quarter, actually, worth of worth of development effort, which is really flipping expensive, um, on on doing that. And and it's, again, it's, it's making, coming back to that transparency and visibility thing, making visible what we kill and why we killed it, because again, that, that creates that sort of self-reinforcing cycle of story around, you know, the value of this is that we're trying to find things that we don't want to do. Um, yes, as a statistic I, I quoted in the in my talk was, uh, you know, somewhere between fifty and ninety percent of things that sound like a good idea for your for your product for your backlog actually turn out to either not be a good idea or not have the impact, not have as much of an impact as you thought they were going to. And if you build 100% of them, then, you know, at, at, at 
probably at best you're wasting 50% of that development effort, which is again, really, really, really expensive. Um, so, so it's, so it's just cre- it's creating that sort of self-reinforcing narrative of, you know, here are the things that we shot in the head because we found out that they didn't have the value that everyone thought. And, you know, Hey, look, if we'd committed that to development, geez, that would have been expensive. <laughs> It's interesting as well. And I think, you know, in your experience, if you are doing discovery well, do you think it changes the shape of the um, the product team? And when I say product team, I'm kind of including development and design and uh, UX and everything within within all of that, because the classic shape of a team like that would be like five developers, a designer you know, maybe a bit of a UX person if your designer isn't a UX person as well and um, a QA person or, some, you know, something in that sort of shape. So if actually you've got to do quite a lot more work up front in order to validate everything that's going into that development team, you kind of feel like that's the wrong shape for that type of Yeah, it, team. It, it's, it's, it's interesting because the, the notion of team actually grows significantly because, you know, it might be a conversation with your company lawyer that leads you to go, oh, actually, this, you know, maybe we shouldn't go down that path after all. So, you know, is the lawyer part of that team? Um, it might be your um, support people who will ultimately lead you down the path of, geez, you know, this is a bad idea. Are they part of your development team? And so it kind of did, and, and that starts to really extend that the notion of team into that more sort of value streamy kind of thing where actually it's it's all the people in there, you know, then the you know, grocery retailer thing, you know, there's a lot more people than just the development team involved in actually getting something into the real world. It's it's store staff, it's you know, delivery, it's back office, warehousing, all that kind of thing. Those, you know, that is the team of people that will help you to understand whether something is 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 feasible or not. Um, so, so as I said, it really extends that notion of team. And by exposing your engineers to those wider group of stakeholders, you, you're going to get a, bre- a better product as a result because they're going to organize, they're going to understand the wider business better. Um, I've just just been going through a, a roles and responsibilities exercise with with one of the organisations, and um, we, we were noodling on the you know where does a BA fit in all of this, and and we saw where we landed is actually the the, the BA is the one who's going to be trying to really represent some of these more process-oriented things in other parts of the business and bring that business knowledge into the team to help them to, to kind of flesh out that, that dimension of feasibility. I've got an entire rant about uh, the definition of a product team and things like that. We won't get into it now, but but it, it, it's, it's very, very similar to what you just said. And you said much more concisely than my long talk said. That that's much better. Um, but I think that comes in nicely to to one area that uh, you had a slight difference, I think, between the way that you approach some of these things and Teresa Torres does. And, you know, we've had Teresa on a couple of times. We usually go to her as our, our go-to person on discovery stuff. Um, what's the, what's, where do you guys differ on things? Um, Teresa talks a lot about the, the, the notion of the product trio, you know, the, the, the product manager, the designer, the, you know, sort of tech lead, lead tech type person. Um, I like, I like to not think of it as just those three people. It might be those three people as kind of proxies for others that you need to bring in. Um, and, and one of the, the lesson I learned has kind of come from some of a lot of the thinking that John Cutler has been doing and, and, and publishing around the, the notion of starting together. Um, and that to me, if you sort of pull one person to, and, and I'll speak specifically to more of a technology type example here, if you pull one technology person into that discovery process, when we come time to actually then move into the wider team being involved in delivering that, 
um, you've got to do all this knowledge transfer. And so there's all these handovers and whatnot that, that go on and inevitably things get lost in translation. Um, and, and there's always a temptation that that technical lead person is the most senior tech person. Um, and, and I've heard this wonderful concept called architect hours um, where, um, you know, the, 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 it's an architect, software architect who's got involved in that discussion and the development team just look at what the result of that was going and goes, oh my goodness yeah he's he's like really smart and he can do that but we're not as smart as him and we've got to do this and and you know help you know if if only we'd had a you know as a broader group had an input in earlier we might have headed off some complexity that we can't deal with and, th and things like that and, and again you know what we're talking about before about the multidisciplinary nature as well as that just by by limiting it just to those people you run the risk of not bringing in other stakeholders and, and again you know the product manager might be a proxy for some of them but of course you know nothing beats getting stuff from the horse's mouth and so i'm i'm a fan of, of you know, bringing in a, a broader group of people because it builds that shared understanding that as we move this thing into into delivery and into getting it in the hands of our users we're avoiding handoffs between between people as much as possible however and this is this is the thing i've had discussions with with people down here in new zealand about this because they don't entirely agree with me um that that has to be balanced with velocity and i think that's kind of what to, where, where Teresa's sort of signaling you should be that three people enabled to, to move fast because the more people you bring in, the slower it is, and so it comes to that that judgment call of what's what are we what, what's our biggest benefit here? Moving fast versus bringing everyone on the journey. Like like how do we how do we shift that? Let's we we can't involve like the whole universe of our organization um, because we'll just never get anything done. But to me, just bringing it back to those three all the time is is you know you you do really run the risk of not bringing people on the journey. So what what's the happy balance between that? So I guess so. Um, I, I guess my my message to, to product managers is is you know is like to me the three is the idealized view. Um, be pragmatic about that. It sounds like an East depends answer, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit, but but it, it's knowing that you know not to take not to take this kind of thing literally. You know, think about what yeah. You know, think about both those principles of. The, the product trio and needing to move fast, but also the principle of starting together. And if you can sort of balance those two principles, then you're most, more likely to succeed. Okay. This has been fantastic. I think we've got time for one last thing, and I'm just going to jump straight into it. Uh, one of the things you quoted is uh, an agile principle around building products around motivated individuals. And I think that it originally came from building projects and you adapted it to, to products. Yeah. yeah. What's the deal? Uh, so, I always thought we should build the products around solving customer problems in a way that adds value, blah, 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 all the, you know, the four principles of viability. Why build around motivated individuals rather than solving a problem? Or am I reading you wrong? I, I, I think that the, 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 my answer to that question is probably yes. It, it, it's a bit <laughs> of both. But it, so the number one lesson I've learned is, as a product manager is that you really need to care deeply about the culture of the culture and the sustainability of the team that are doing the work and because if you don't you you run yourself off the rails like like you you'll maybe get stuff done in the short term but you'll burn a team out if they're not fully bought into what it is you're trying to do and if you if you've burned your team out you ain't delivering anything to your customers <laughs> so so it, it, it's striking that again it's, it's a balance kind of thing it's striking that balance between you know yes we are definitely need to solve the problems but unless we bring our people who are doing that along on the journey um, we're just not going to be as effective. Um, yeah, the, the, to me, the, the, the scariest thing in a world as a product manager is when I get the sense that my team don't really understand the problem that they're trying to solve and they're just, just coding. 
um, because I know that if if we don't have that shared understanding of the problem, um, and and if people aren't motivated and don't really care about the problem, everybody's going to have their own perception of what the problem is in their mind. They're going to have their own motivations, and if we hit the mark for our customer, it's going to be more through luck than than good management. Um, so and and you know I, I don't like relying on luck. Um, you know I I want people bought into why this is something that they should really care about and why it's going to make our customers' lives better. Um, and 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 this is it's a lesson I've kind of learned the hard way as as a, as a as a product person is that you know as I said unless that team culture is there, you just it's just going to be painful. It's going to make your life really 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 tough. Don't don't leave the team culture to the engineering manager or the the scrum coach. You as a product manager need to care about it and you need to find ways to nurture it. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I think that's a a great note to finish on. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, guys. I really, really, really enjoyed it. As, as I said uh, earlier on, like we, we, I, I could talk about these topics for hours and hours and hours. It is, it is, <laughs> you know, particularly that team culture thing, that's something that I do really deeply care about. But it is a bit late where you are, so we'll let you go for time. <laughs> no worries <laughs> Thank at all. Thank you so much, Anthony. Bye. Cool. Thanks, guys. And if you enjoyed that, please like and subscribe and share the podcast with all of your friends. And you can discover so much more about lots of topics and all of our wonderful guests. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.